0: Thousand years ago, something unique happened. A group of people got together. That's not unique, but a group of people got together in their hundreds. In their hundreds, they formed a new community, the likes of which the world had never seen before. In this community, there were men and women. There was equality. There was rich and poor alike. There were both the good and the bad. In this community, there were those who were known locally and those who were unknown locally. It had everything. These people met together regularly. They shared everything. They loved each other, and they gave of themselves. This community had something special. In it, no one was poor, regardless of where they came from or their circumstances. Everyone in this new community had a sincerity and a joy that was so noticeable that people in the city of which they met couldn't help but join them and find out more. They were living different. They were called out of normal life and somehow redefined it at the same time. So attractive was this group of people that people joined in their thousands. This was the birth of the early church and God was in the midst of them, evidenced by the miraculous which happened regularly. regularly. This was the early church and from this group came a movement of people, men, women, rich, poor, known, unknown, who changed the world and who have been changing the world over and over and over. the next couple of weeks, I want to think about the church at its best because we often talk about the church at its worst and sometimes we talk about that from the front here, don't we? We could be better. But this morning we want to think about actually the church at its best because God has placed us here. For the most wonderful job, the transformation of hearts and towns and cities and countries. Now, so, I want to play you a video. You may know a man named Jay John. Anyone know Jay John? Oh, good. I normally ask that question to people in this church, and they're like, "No, no, no idea." Anyway, but Jay John is a, a reverend in the Church of England. Um, if you don't know him, he's actually a fairly well-known Christian. He's written lots of studies, lots of books. He's often on, on TV and things like that, and he's brilliant. He's very, very funny, He's very creative, very godly man. And, uh, and he's got a way of putting things which makes you think, that's fantastic. And here is his description of what he does for a living.
1: People often say... You say, Jay John, you know what? What do you do? Uh, it's always very difficult to know what to say because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, "Hello," and she said, well, hello," and I said, "Where are you going?" And and she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well... LAUGHTER I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. <laughs> she said... See you! I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. She went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned round and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said it's called the Church <laughs> of
0: America. I love it. <laughs> it's very good. Church at its best is all those things. It's awesome. When the church does what it's supposed to do, or when we're godly, when we're proper servants of Jesus Christ, the church is the hope of the world. The church does change communities. The church loses its way from time to time, and we freely admit as Christians there have been times in the history of this country and across the world when many people have claimed to be servants of Jesus Christ and have caused all sorts of hurt and abuses, and those people will be judged by God. However, the church is more often than that, good, and more often than that, great, and more often than that, a changemaker in its local town and area. But I can't talk about the church being really good without showing you the church is most ridiculous. Um, this is a video um, which did give me an idea for a, a slight change to our building I don't know if Tim's here but um, our building team, but this is what I think we should add to this church. But this is the church. We've had it at its most wonderful. This is at its most ridiculous. Going
1: to come when the sky is cracked, and Jesus Christ comes again, and every eye
2: will see Him when He comes again. So here's our question for you this morning, brothers and sisters. The simple question is this right here: Are you ready? Are you ready for His return? Amen.
0: That is <laughs> 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 It's embarrassing. If you can't even work the technology, don't do it. But there we are. So that's a church that's most ridiculous. And, uh, and if anyone has ever experienced anything like that, I apologise on behalf of my brothers and sisters who have wonderful ideas sometimes and really shouldn't do half the things they do. So the church is sometimes not great. But when we think of being church, we ought to we ought to realise, actually, uh, that we're not just a spiritual version of the Scouts uh, or something like that. We're actually the body of Christ. The Bible talks, talks about the church being the body of Christ. And if you were to read through the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, which I won't do now, and you can see how God, what God thinks of His church, what God expects of His church. God has high expectations of us. If you're a follower of Christ and you belong to this church, God expects great things for us. We're to be His representatives on earth. We're to be the ones who are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And The church is at its best when what happens in the next verses I'm about to read to you define us. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? In verse 14 of chapter 16 of Matthew, They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, It is the most amazing definition of what the church is built on. And when Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock, I don't believe he meant necessarily that Peter as an individual was the rock on everything, although he did play a very important part in the early church. That confession that Jesus is Messiah and son of the living God is the rock Jesus is speaking of. When Christians answer that question, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is the rock on which Jesus is building his church. And it is the most amazing thing that when we have that definition, when that's our foundation, what we do, binding, loosing, what we do in people's lives affects their eternities. And over the next three weeks, we want to look at the characteristics that we believe should define local church. And as we look at what should define us as a local church, we want to look at other things at the same time. Things like the importance of unity being filled with the Holy Spirit, and today I want to look at lessons from the past. So we're going to look at the end of each talk of characteristics of the local church, and then those things, being filled with the Spirit, the importance of unity, and this morning, lessons from the past. Because we're not just here in isolation, we're part of a church family that has stretched back 2,000 years, and will stretch on until the day Jesus returns. And our faith as Christians it's littered with amazing men and women who have made a major global difference for Christ and I had intended originally to just give you story after story of men and women who have started hospices or hospitals or orphanages who have been great social reformers. I wanted to tell you all that the Wesley brothers did or Bernardo or William and Catherine Booth or George Muller if only I could tell you a few of those now but I don't want or do want to, but I'm not going to. But how these men and women, just a a, a small group, but there's literally tons more, changed the landscape of British society and the lives of millions of people. They're our brothers and sisters, they're our heritage, they're our inheritance. But before those men and women did great things all those couple of hundred years ago, something happened that led to the church changing, the church becoming its best or at least going in the right direction. In the 18th century, life was defined in this way. It was defined by low church attendance. This is the 18th century. Many people believed that um, the miraculous was simply ridiculous superstition, that those that believed in the miraculous were were simple and a, a bit thick, and that thinking was aided by the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment has swept across Europe, of course, and now people thought logically, and if you couldn't measure it scientifically, it couldn't be true. And there was a dispelling of anything miraculous, this ridiculous, superstitious nonsense for the unintelligent and the uninformed. Sound familiar? There was a, a culture of binge drinking in the 18th century, the famous gin craze. Wasn't it called Mother's Ruin or something? I'm looking at like you don't know. Of course you, none of you know. Um, there was poor housing. Slums grew in many parts of the country. Many people lived in squalid conditions. Violent crime was on the increase, and there was a low Christian impact. The church was out of its depth and did nothing about it. In fact, many churches were run by men who barely believed in the miraculous themselves. That was the 18th century. But something happened around that time. People like George Whitfield, who a name you may never have heard of, who you should look up, a great man who began to preach differently. A man who went to America and stayed in this country and began to preach personal faith in Jesus Christ. The church didn't have that message. It took religion, dead religion. But this man began to say, you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we still say that all these hundreds of years later. Jesus can be your brother, your friend, your Savior, your King. You can know him. What a thing to be able to tell someone. God's Son, you can know him. He began to preach things like forgiveness, not condemnation, forgiveness for sin. And that message spread in this country. It spread across to the 13 colonies as they were then over in America. And this became known as the first great awakening as the church found itself. John and Charles Wesley were converted at a similar time to this. And the gospel through John Wesley particularly spread throughout this country with the same message. That you could know Christ as your savior. You could be forgiven for your sin. And these men, plus others that did it as well, covered thousands, tens of thousands of miles, preaching the gospel. George Whitfield, I think it was, preached to a group of coal miners, hundreds of them, terrifying these scary men who had white lines down their cheeks because no one had ever told them how much God loved them, that they could be forgiven for their sin. They were broken-hearted, and many of them came to know Christ as their saviour. The good news was preached. The church changed, and as a result of that change in church culture, that. Church finding itself. Numerous Christian agencies sprung up in Britain. Anti-slavery societies influencing a very famous William Wilberforce. Prison reform groups sprung up. Relief agencies for the poor all over the place. Missionary societies. Religious tract society and a British foreign society. Hospitals and schools multiplied in the nation. England was transformed through this work and this revival. Let's fast forward 200 years to now church for many is characterized by low attendance many churches have five to ten in them maybe 30 or 40 30 or 40 is considered good we are by the way an exception when I tell people how many come on a Sunday how many young people we have on a Friday or what the other works we do people go really because God has blessed us abundantly I hope we all realize that we, we should be humbled by what God has done in this church. I am. It brings me to tears when I think about it. But now, again, the church is characterized by low attendance. Many people see our faith as irrelevant, superstitious, nonsensical belief of the weak and the ill-informed. If you say to a non-Christian, I believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave on the third day, they think you're a weirdo. If you say to somebody who doesn't go to church, I believe in the virgin birth. That There was a young woman in in Bethlehem and she had never had sex with a man, yet she was with child through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that child was God's only son who was both fully God and fully man at the same time in her womb. Most people think you're slightly bonkers. And if you tell them you believe in the incarnation that that baby was God as a man, they really don't think you've got it all together. I've been running with a guy called, I won't say his name, Bob. Anyway, and we were running together, and he, you know, and he knew I was the minister of the church, and he said to me, "So you don't believe in all that uh, virgin birth nonsense, do you?" I said, well, "Of course I do. <laughs> what sort of Christian would I be if I didn't believe that?" But just like those times before, there are many in Christian ministry who look the part, say the part, but don't believe in the resurrection barely believe in the divinity of Christ and certainly don't believe there's only one way to God for the death and resurrection and faith in Jesus Christ and they should be ashamed of themselves our culture is again defined by binge drinking um, even the gin craze has returned that's right that did make me think when I saw that you every flavor under the sun's I'm told um that's returned housing again is an issue in our nation People simply haven't got enough money to get on the housing ladder. There's not enough houses for people, so we're told over and over again. There are many landlords and housing associations who are greedy and uncaring and treat those at the bottom like dirt. Never getting round to fix what's broken, because who cares? You go, the council will stick someone else in. It's shameful. Shameful. Violent crime is at a high. Every day we turn a telly on and another poor kid has been stabbed in London. The other day, a poor boy went out on his bike and never came home. That was the headline. Middle of last week. And don't tell me it's just better reported. No, don't tell me that. It is getting worse. Young people are being killed for what? And just like the 18th century, in many places, the church is silent. The church is impotent, making little impact. Let me show you a sheet of paper, which you won't be able to read. (laughs) but It's nice to have these things up anyway. Excuse my scribbled notes on there. I got this was a Bible college uh, 16 years ago. It's irrelevant. Anyway. And uh, at the top there says 1650, at the bottom 2000. And on the right, I've shown you this before, but a lot of new people have joined. On the right-hand side is all the ch- things, the right side of the black line. is all the things the church influenced. So right back in 1600s, everything. There was Christians involved in everything. Faith defined most of British society and many things across the world. As you come down from the 1600s to the 1800s and you get down to 2000, that line to the left is what's become secularised and the church has nothing to say about it anymore. no longer involved. And right at the bottom you see even the word church. It's kind of, Thank you. That's very clever. Um, it's kind of half and half in the black line. That's 18, 19 years out of date. So that great moment... All those years ago, when great things happened, there has been a steady decline back to that since that what it was like 200 years ago. But God has been working in His church. There have been great renewals, haven't there? Uh, similar to the effect of the Great Awakening. The charismatic renewal in the 60s was a good thing. There were lots of things to work out, of course, from the charismatic renewal. But Christians got together and they suddenly realized it's not just about only preaching the Bible. I want God to move. And there was a, a thirst and a desire for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God, to experience God. All the things about spiritual gifts and spiritual fruits, Christians suddenly wanted those things as well as knowledge. And what's been happening over the last 20 years are the, the, the more charismatic Christians and those who are more conservative. Some of them have come together and these are the churches that grow, those who are biblically based and those who seek the power of God's Holy Spirit. Somebody once famously said too much word and you dry up, too much spirit and you blow up. But put them both together and you grow up. We want to grow up in this church. We want to be biblically based. We want gifts of the Holy Spirit. Of course we do. They're biblical. We want God to move mightily. We want to feel God's presence and know his word. And we want him to do all those things in our midst. There's been more than that. In the 80s, there was a real move amongst the churches for personal holiness and a return to evangelism and discipleship. In the 90s, there was a real renewal to reach out to people who had questions. The Alpha course started. And Alpha has been one of the single greatest things of the modern church growth, in Western Europe particularly. As people were allowed to come and ask any question, Without being judged and come and find their savior. There's been a real return to social action. Think of the Jubilee campaign in 2000, Soul in the City, 2004, when people tidied up London. Food banks, Christians Against Poverty, make lunch. There's been a renewed passion for prayer with the 24 7 prayer movement. This is the church at its best. And so, what words should define the church? Well, I've got a couple that will appear on the screen as we get towards the end. What should define this church? And we're going to build on these words week in, week out. Because they resonate with us, they resonate with me. You see, for the church to be at its best, it should be at the heart of its community. Practically, spiritually and emotionally. We have a great mission. In Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world and make disciples. We you have a great heart, a great reason. Matthew 22 says, love your neighbour as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. And in Acts chapter 1, we have a great power that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit from on high. We are witnesses for him in all the earth. I once heard somebody say and ask a very important question. If your church shut this morning, would your town even notice? Ouch. They should notice, shouldn't they? Because we should be at the heart of this town, practically, spiritually, and emotionally. There's so much uncertainty over Brexit, isn't there? I know we're not allowed to mention the B word, but there is so much uncertainty. Even Nissan are nervous now, only making one of their cars in Sunderland and making the other one somewhere else. We don't know if that's Brexit related or not. But there's lots of things. Companies are threatening to go. We're all getting very worried by it. The church needs to stay. The church needs to be more present than ever before. I believe we need to be present practically, spiritually, and emotionally. If everyone else is going to flee, we need to be more present and more permanent than ever before. The church is at its best when it's charitable. Uh, There's a uh, a church over in Bedford called the King's Arms. It's brilliant. I I don't know the uh, history. Is it it come from a pub, or is it just Peter? The daughter goes. Karen goes. So there used to be a pub called the King's Arms then, presumably. So I took it over and now a church called the King's Arms, which actually defines them because they're very active in their local community. And they run something called the King's Arms Project. And they work predominantly with people who are, are homeless. And they take them off the streets, they clean them, they feed them, they train them, and they get them back into society. I'll play you a two-minute video. And, uh, and this is of a guy who met this church up the road, two, two hours away in Bedford, and, uh, and got involved with the King's Arms Project.
2: I was in Henry Camp, going back, I'd say, I was there 13 years, Um, as a friend of mine. I ended up to moving out. I slept rough near a church for a couple of months, but it did give me coffees, teas, food, warm blankets, a sleeping bag, and basically like a little cove I used to sleep in. I think it was time to move on. I had enough money on me to get to Bedford. I got a single that's about £3.80 or something like that. I had my dog with me. I got on a bus. I didn't know anybody in Bedford. It was just hard. It wasn't easy. I felt, you know, sort of pushed away from everything, you know. Not accepted, but pushed away. Lady, she's 16 now. She's a lovely... She's a Benlon Terrier, a poodle. Well, Lady was my only company. You know, we just cuddle up together. I kept her warm, she kept me warm. I found a place to stay, keep dry as best I could. Um, I got myself into a sleeping bag, got my got lady on top of me, on top of me like that, on my chest. So she was warm, she wasn't getting cold. And we used to sleep together on the butterfly bridge. And it was very cold, because I was sleeping in the winter months, not the summer months. I was sleeping in winter months. It was when it's snowing and it's really cold. I hit rock bottom. Didn't know where to turn, what to do. Didn't have nobody to turn to, and that's when the night of shelter f- helped me out, basically, to get me from, from from A to B to C. Basically, I had a bed to sleep in. There was about 17 beds there. The staff used to, when I left in the morning, they said, "Jesus loves you," and they used to pick me up. Stuff did change for me because. Then I had to wait for a couple of months, maybe three months then, to get into Barton House. Barton House took me to church, so that's where I got to go into the King's Arms. It was a bit scary. I didn't know anybody, but you're not sort of pushed away. I went back to the night show. I said, right, I want to know more. That's how I found Jesus. I'm just full of life. I'm just full of the Holy Spirit. Now there's one big happy family. I, I really love it. Basically, God has put me where I am now today. He's putting me in the right path, not the wrong path.
0: That's brilliant. The church is its best when it's at the centre of its town. The church is its best when it's charitable. The Bible says in Matthew 5:28, Jesus says, Give to those who ask. In Isaiah 58, verse 10, we're told to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor. The church is at its best when it stands with the invisible. the church at it's best when there's no poverty amongst us, it's regular community. Let me read to you a few verses from Acts chapter 4. These are probably the most challenging verses in the New Testament. Forget all that I said about being more charismatic, let me read this to you. All the believers, this is the early church, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any one of those who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We're redeemed to be different as Christians. That passage, that reality of the early church is really quite a challenge, isn't it? What if we did that for each other? What if we realized that all the stuff that we have wasn't actually ours? We may have worked hard for it, but it's all God's. Everything we own is the king of kings' possession. Everything is undeserved despite the hours we may put in. And what if we gave some of it away to those who worked just as hard, but in a different context, and they had a chance to get on that ladder or make a material difference to their life? What a witness that would be for each other. What a witness that would be to the world. And number four, finally, modern facilities help a church be its best. The Bible has a funny relationship with buildings. Right from the very beginning, there weren't any, and then there was one, and there wasn't any again, and there was one at the end. It's a bit like that. In the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle, the then you had the, the actual brick temple. And right away across in the book of Revelation, we're told to expect a building, the new Jerusalem, that will come down out of heaven. In the Bible, we're likened as bricks in a temple. We're likened to a building, as Christ is our cornerstone. Buildings are not churches. You are not in a church. You are the church. Nevertheless, if we didn't have this building, we'd all be quite cold at this precise moment, wouldn't we? If we didn't have this building, then many of the things we did, we'd struggle to put on. We may put them on in other people's buildings, but it's nice to have your own every now and again. The church is not the building, but the church plays a part. And as a church, we are considering redeveloping parts of this site. Why? Is it so that we can have a bigger car park? So that when we come to church, it's easier to get in. Is it so that we can have nicer rooms so that it's posher for us? better heating that'd be all right wouldn't it is it so that it's more comfortable on a Sunday morning is our building project for us and our needs no and if it is let's stop it now because what a mistake that would be our building project will be in preparation for greater moves of the king of kings it will be so that we have a building that enables us to serve God better more effectively in a larger context and that we can invite the community in to share god's love and the gospel with them that's what our building's for and so as i finish the church is unique and maybe you came this morning thinking well so what to any of that it only matters if you know christ and we're about to take communion together in a moment, because all of this only matters if we know Jesus Christ. We are not just another organization in the town. We are followers of the King of Kings. I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He became my King when I was 11 years old. And I love him. And I love him with my whole heart. And I've followed him since I was 11. and I'm now 40, nearly 41, sadly. 30 years of my life. And I can never imagine a day without Jesus as my king. I cannot imagine living the rest of my life without the excitement of what it means to follow him. I want to change the world, don't you? I don't just want to have a few more on a Sunday. I don't just want to have a couple of extra ministries. I want to change the world. But not me, him. Because that's surely what we're for. And the church and every member of it is for it as well. The church at its best, please come next week and tell me what you think that is with our open mic. But it all comes down to Jesus Christ. And so as we come to take communion, we're going to sing a song now if the music group want to come up. As we sing this song, ask yourself a question. If none of this makes any sense, if you're thinking that's a boring talk to come to, I wish I'd come last week or the week, two weeks' time, is it because you just don't know what I mean? You don't know Christ as your saviour. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, This morning, I encourage you to do it. There'll be people to come pray with after this service, after communion, and you can come and and pray with them. If you want to become a Christian, you can speak to one of them or speak to me. Because I tell you, when you know Jesus, all of what I've said becomes exciting and life-changing.